Last week we talked about what um, was, I think, an important, um, but had the potential to be a difficult topic uh, for, for some folks in the church. We talked about gender roles in the church, and, and we um, as a church are complementarian. That's a, a distinctive of ours. That goes back to the founding of Blessed Hope Church. Uh, and what that means is that we see the role of men and women in the church as distinct. Uh, oh man, look at that. There you go. Uh, we see the role of men and women in the church as distinct, yet dependent. Okay, and what that means is that men and women have equal value, but God has created us Newsflash, anybody that's married gets this. There's no confusion. God has created us differently. We have different strengths. We have different ways that we thrive. We have different needs. We have different um, abilities that we bring to the table. And so um, that's, that's what we, we focused on last week. And I, I want to say this. I'll remind you what I said then was that complementarianism is a distinctive. You can be a good Christian person and you can disagree with us about that, and it's okay. You can be a part of this congregation and disagree with us about that. You just need to understand that that's how Blessed Hope views uh, the role of pastor and elders in the church, okay? Um, and if it bothered you, and, and I, some of you, uh, you heard, you listened, we went through it, and, and it kind of rubbed you the wrong way, and you were a little raw, and you went home, and you stewed on it a little bit, and um, here's what I'm going to say. You've known me for a while, okay? You've known me for a while. You, you hopefully know my heart. You hopefully know how I feel about you. You hopefully know um, a lot of different things about the way I see the church. And it's okay that we disagree on this, but, but what I would love is for us to have the opportunity to sit down and chat and talk some more. If you're having frustration or, or confusion about the role of women in the church and the role of men in the church and how they work together. Let's, let's have some dialogue, okay? All right. But we continue today, and with that in mind, we, we jump into this idea uh, today of um, leaders in the church. And we're going to talk specifically about elders and deacons and how uh, church governance works. And some of you are thinking, well, we talk about church governance, Matt. That's not like a very inspired topic. Like there's nothing about that that's going to move me. It should and the reason that it should is because, um, one, when we talk about leadership in the church, what we're talking about is God's provision for you, okay? When God provides leadership for the church, and there's no leadership in the church that God hasn't provided. If there is leadership in the church that God hasn't provided, the church will fail, okay? And that's why we have to be very careful about the way that we look at leadership in the church. If there's leadership in the church that God hasn't provided, the church will fall flat and it won't work. So when we talk about leadership, we're talking about God's provision for his church, for us. This is a blessing that God has given. Two, leadership in the church is something that is much broader, I think, than we think it is. A lot of times we think about leadership in the church, and because of the culture we live in, we think that's, that's like one or two guys that are in charge of things. Um, in, in a lot of mainline denominations, that's one or two guys that are in charge of things that aren't even anywhere close to our church, okay? Um, and so we have to kind of understand, what, is, what does the New Testament teach about the way church governance should happen, okay? And it's different, I think, than a lot of us realize, and some of us, we have this picture in our head. We start talking church government. We have this picture in our head um, from the way that uh, is most prominent in the world we live in. And we think of our Catholic friends, and we think of one guy uh, living in Vatican City who's in charge of everything, and that there's this trickle-down leadership where this one guy that's in charge of everything um, teaches and directs and appoints other people underneath him, and it just kind of trickles down until we get to the local church, and there's not a lot of leadership that happens at the local church because it's all happened from the top down. And there are a lot of mainline denominations that do their church governance that way. The structures look different, but they're governed from outside of the church. Then when it gets to the evangelical church, we get a lot of churches that will do things in a couple of different ways. Sometimes we overcorrect this because this is flawed, uh, one top-down leadership from outside of the church, uh, and we go to this thing called democratic. 
and, and we're in America, we love democracy, I get it, um, but it doesn't necessarily work in a church. I was in one of these churches, a small Southern Baptist church when I was growing up a little bit, and this is the church where um, you voted on everything because everything took a majority rules. We need to get the copier fixed. Call a church meeting, right? Why? Because it's over 100 bucks. Anything over 100 bucks needs to be approved by the congregation. Now, granted, there were only 20 people in that congregation. Uh, it wasn't that bad. There were probably 50. Okay, so gather them together after church, and we have to vote on whether or not we can fix the copier. It's a straight democratic kind of a system. That doesn't work all that well, especially as the church starts to grow. There are some churches that have a, um, a, a pastoral leadership and that they, they call a pastor to come and serve, and then the pastor basically serves as the head of the church, setting direction, budget, doing everything from that position. Um, that can be a pretty tricky, dangerous thing. And then there are churches that do what we do, okay? And I'm going to say here that, that there's not a um, sin here. If, if people disagree and do their church governance differently, it's not sinful. We're not mad. We don't fight about this. But what we've done is we've read the New Testament. We've studied the New Testament. We've poured over the New Testament. We, we've understood what's contextual and, and what's transferable and, and what was um, just designed to describe what was happening at the church then and what the apostles gave us that was prescriptive that we could take and we could plug in any church, any culture, any time. And what we've, what we've done is, is we've done to the best of our ability as we've poured through that, we've, we've told you what we think church governance looks like. And that's what we're talking about here this morning. Okay, this is God's provision for the church. And uh, this is the way it works. The names don't really matter because um, we won't always be us um, in this context, um, but here's the way that it works. So you've got um, a, what we would call a plurality of elders, okay? And plurality of elders means something interesting here, okay? And what it means is that there is no ruling elder. So you've got a group of elders who are equal. They're on equal ground, equal standing, equal authority, okay? That's what the New Testament teaches us, that we have a group of elders that are of equal authority. But what we also know as we read through the New Testament is that there were elders of greater influence within the group. Uh, for example, we see 12 disciples and we see Peter and John and James that had greater influence amongst the 12, right? We read in Acts that all of the elders were together, all of the apostles were together, but, but what do we read? That Peter stood out among the elders, okay? And, and when it was time to go and have our first sermon at the temple um, in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost, Peter is the one that stood to preach. Not all 12 stood to preach, but Peter is the one that stood to deliver the message. And so we, we see that there is something to be said about a primary leader of the elders, but not one who outranks the others. And this is the way we see leadership here at the church. So you need to understand this, is that um, because I'm the guy that works here, I'm the guy that has um, the time to be here. This is where my office is. This is what I labor in day in, day out. I labor in preaching and teaching. I labor in discipleship. This is my primary vocation. So I serve as the primary leader of the elders. But that does not mean that does not mean that I have more authority than the elders. It means I lead them. We think about this like um, a bad analogy would say, well, well, Matt's like the coach of the elder board. No, because the coach has primary authority. This is more like the quarterback of the elder board. Okay, so understand the distinction. There's no more authority, okay? And also... Matt, as the primary leader, as the one paid in vocation to be at the church, Matt is not only um, amongst equals on the elder board, but Matt is then, look at from the bottom up, Matt is accountable to the elder board. At any given time, okay, now, now track with this. This is important for us to understand as we get into God's provision for the church. At any given time, the elders could ask for my resignation, and they would receive it. It's a commitment I made to them um, way back when, that there will be no church fractures on my watch because of my leadership. 
okay? Because I am accountable to the elders. Now, I don't expect them to ask for my resignation anytime soon. And I, I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't ask for a reason, okay? But that's the way this works. At any given time, because I'm accountable to the elders, I am one amongst equals on the elders. I drive that board because that's my primary vocation. I'm the primary leader, but yet we work together on this. And, and that, that's the way this, this process works. And I need us to understand that as we get into this. And then before we're done, we're going to see how deacons and other leaders fall into this process. Okay? All right. So let's dig into what the scripture has to say. First things first, we, we want to talk about um, who elders are. Okay? Uh, we talked last week that elders are men, that God has called to lead the church. We find a lot of instruction about elders in, in 1 Timothy, uh, that epistle, and again in Titus, and then in 1 Peter. We're going to look at a couple of those today, and we're going to break this apart. And so track with me as we walk through this, because there's, there's a lot to do, but I think it's instructive. Okay? 1 Timothy, we're actually going to look at uh, verse 1 through verse 7, but we, we just broke it apart here. 1 through 3. So here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. By the way, there are three words, okay? There are three words in the New Testament that are translated differently in different spots, but they all mean the same thing, okay? And they all, they all have the same meaning. And it's pastor, shepherd, overseer. And they all mean elder, okay? It's the same word, uh, meaning pastor, overseer, okay, or shepherd. So here, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an elder desires a noble task. So here's the first thing you need to know about the men that God has called and provided to serve in leadership. They want to be there. These are men who have a deep, passionate love for the church and for God's people and for pure doctrine I mean, and they desire, they aspire. God has planted it in their heart that there is nothing they can do but lead in this way. Sometimes we think that the best leaders in this instance, the best leaders are the ones that don't desire leadership, but that are thrust in it because of their character. And I'm going to say that is a worldly viewpoint that has no business happening on your elder board. The best elders are not elders that everybody else tells them you should be an elder because you're so good at this. The best elders are people who aspire to serve God in that way. It's in them and they just desire it with their whole heart and their passion and there's nothing else that they can do and that people come alongside of them and say, yes, I see that, that makes sense to me. But we can't have elders that don't want to be elders. It doesn't work. You can't have a pastor that's not wholeheartedly devoted and desiring to be your pastor. If I lose that devotion, by the way, that's how I feel about you. Um, I can't imagine doing something different. Doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's always simple, but I can't imagine doing something different. But if the day comes where I wake up and, and I've lost that, almost went righteous brothers there. I've lost that love and feeling. <laughs> like if I were awesome, I would sing to you right now, but I'm not. And so I won't. You're welcome. But if I lose that, then it's time for me to step back and step down and step away. Because this is priority number one, that this is a trustworthy saying. This means, uh, when it says this is a trustworthy saying, it means this is something commonly understood. And Paul's saying that's commonly understood and you can trust it. This is a trustworthy thing. Somebody that aspires to be an elder, they desire a noble task. Okay, let's keep going here. The overseer, the elder, is to be above reproach. Now, above reproach simply means this, that they are above accusation. Does it mean they're perfect? No. Doesn't mean they're perfect, but it means they're above accusation. And so here's something I want you to think about. If we have elders that act like elders at church, but then everywhere else they act like something else, then that's somebody who's not above reproach. And you know what? We are all really good at compartmentalizing life. I think every single one of us here, I don't care who we are, I think we're lying if we say it's not true, at least to a small degree. We're really good at figuring out, I want to act this way in this setting, 
and I want to act this way in this setting, and then I act this way here. And so you have people, right? You have people who at church are above reproach. At church, they make perfect sense to be an elder, but you know what? Because I see them when they're not at church and somebody says, hey, you know, um, Billy's going to be an elder, and I would say, really? That guy? That's an indicator that this person is not above reproach. Listen to me. Elders act like elders even when they're not at church. To mark a maturity, that you are who you are. We keep going. Faithful to his wife. Elders must be faithful to their wives. Now, I want to be really clear here. Uh, there are different ways to translate this, and so some of your versions may say that they are the husband of one wife, okay? And because some translations tell us that they are the husband of one wife, we've kind of bought into this idea in some churches that elders can never have been divorced or that they must be married. First of all, I would argue that you could have a very effective elder that's not married. Here's my, here's my evidence for that. Paul. Paul was not married. We wouldn't say Paul would be, I mean, I hope that as a church, we would not get to our affirmation process and say, oh, Paul, you look the part, but you're not married, so we can't affirm you as an elder at Blessed Hope Church. That would make zero sense, right? So being married is not the key, okay? But being a one-woman man is the key. I, we would even accept men as elders, and we would champion men as elders who've been divorced, if the cause of the divorce wasn't theirs, or even if it was, if they had repented from that, and they had demonstrated the ability now to be a one-woman man. This, this command is less about divorce, and what it is is it's about character now. And the reason I know this is because I feel like I'm above reproach. As your pastor, not perfect, but I am above reproach. I think when anybody knows or talks or sees me, it does not confuse them that I'm a pastor. In fact, sometimes it clarifies things. They're like, oh, you're a pastor. I get it now. I was not always above reproach. If you had known me 15 years ago and you found out that I was an elder or a pastor, you would have said, hmm, I'm not sure that makes sense. But what Paul's asking for here is maturity in these things, not perfection. And it's not, oh, I made a mistake at one point in time, so that's it. I'm all, nothing. What it is is, who am I now? Now, I mean, we're smart about this. If there was a man who, who aspired to be an elder who was all of these qualities but, but was, um, you know, six months away from a divorce, we would say, you know what, maybe we need to slow down. But being faithful to his wife, literally what we're saying there, if we translate that accurately, is being a one-woman man. You know what that does call into account, though? Not just your marriage. It calls into your sexual fidelity. Because you can't watch porn and be a one-woman man. Right? You can't, you can't have um, promiscuous lifestyle, whether you're married or not, and be a one-woman man. You can't be engaged in um, sex outside of the confines of what God describes as good boundaries in marriage and be faithful. Okay? And so it's not talking about divorce as much as it's talking about your sexual ethic and your ability to be faithful. Okay? Temperate. Oh, went too far. Temperate. Uh, temperate has to do with your um, anger, your attitude. Okay, Paul says this, this person that's an elder needs to be temperate. This means, listen, you got to keep, you keep your attitude in check. Okay, you might have all of these other qualities in spades, but if you get too irritable when things don't go your way, then you're not going to make for a good elder. Self-controlled, not controlled by your passions. Passion is a good thing. 
Passion is a valuable thing. I want you to be passionate. We need our elders to be passionate, but we can't be controlled by our passions. We can't be driven by our passions. When God provides men to serve as elders, it's his provision for the church. It's provision for us as church members. It's provision for us as Christians as we get on mission in the community. As God provides, we have to be self-controlled. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, by the way. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. So if you are a man who is self-controlled, then guess what that means? It means that the Holy Spirit is reigning in your life. If you are a man that is driven by your passions, then the Holy Spirit is not reigning in your life. And here's the deal. You might come up with a scenario where being driven by your passions is a good thing, but I can come up with a lot more where being driven by your passions is not. So someone that is self-controlled is not driven by their passions. They're driven by the Holy Spirit that reigns inside of them. We keep going. Respectable. It's a person who, if you followed them around, you would see that their life was respectable. By the way, are you seeing how all of these kind of feed into one another? They all kind of come together because this is what Christian maturity looks like. And if you're here and you're like, man, I, I miss that first one. I don't have a desire. I don't aspire to be an elder. Or, you know what, Matt, you said, you said that elders were men and I'm a woman. And so obviously this doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. This is Christian maturity. Okay? This, these are things that we all strive for. This is Christian maturity. This is how we grow up in the Lord. This is how we move to be more and more like Jesus. To be more and more like Jesus, then here's what I do. I'd be above reproach. I'd be faithful, right? I'm temperate. I'm self-controlled. I'm respectable. I'm all of those things. And the more you have those things, the more your witness is good. The more you're growing to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And in this instance, right, to be respectful or to be respectable as as an elder means, man, if I followed you around, you know what I would see? Is that your life was all about God. That's who you have serving as elders. Or it's, it's who we're called to be as we serve as elders. When we ask to affirm other elders later on, this is what we're asking them to be. We're asking them to be men whose lives are marked by being all about God. They're respectable. I respect the decisions they make. I can respect their financial choices. I can respect their sexual ethic. I can respect their attitude. I can respect their self-control. I can respect those things because I know that their lives are all about God. We keep going. Hospitable. Elders must be able to throw elaborate Martha Stewart-like dinner parties. If you're listening online, please don't stop there. Because I was going to say I'm kidding. Hospitable is this. Hospitable means that you know it's not about you. Now, we have people that are so hospitable that their homes are always open. That's Carrie's desire for, for us um, is to get to the position uh, just schedule-wise and financially and, and just you know, in, in a home that, that makes sense where we're always just open for people to be there. Carrie has visions of... Um, Sunday after church potlucks. Every week. No, hey, it's Sunday. Church is over. Anybody that wants to, bring something to share, come. That way, you know, we're all set. Okay? And, and it's always open. Of course, then she also has, has these fears that nobody would show up and we would feel bad about ourselves. Um, right, that would be bad. Okay, we're, doesn't matter. But hospitable means we just simply know this. We know it's not about us. Men that are called to serve as elders understand that, that everything they have, they've been given by God to steward. Not to be all about them, but so that they can invite a lost world into their world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to help people grow, to help people move. So elders are men that understand that it's not about them, and that sometimes Having an attitude of hospitality means that I open my home, I open my resources, I open my time for the benefit of other people that need uh, help to mature, they need help to grow, they need to be discipled, or they need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who these men are. We keep going. They're able to teach. 
Sometimes this is the big one for drawing people away from being an elder. They're like, I, I, man, I desire to be an elder and I meet the qualifications, but I can't teach well. And so I don't feel like I could be an elder. And when they say teach well, they have two things in mind. They have standing up here and giving a sermon in mind, or they have um, teaching a Sunday school class in mind. And I think I do okay um, when I preach, Mark Johnson is one of our elders that preaches for me on occasion, and he does a great job. Um, uh, Vince um, preaches for me on occasion, does a great job. By the way, you get to uh, hear Vince next week. Vince is going to open up the word and teach us about um, understanding church from the context of worship and what that is and what that isn't and why it matters, and that's going to be awesome. I uh, can't wait to listen to that. Um, but all of that's going to happen. But, but we have people that preach, but you know what? Not all of our elders will. Not all of our elders want to, not all, all of our elders feel called to, and it doesn't disqualify them from being an elder because they don't want to stand up here and preach. Okay, and then we have elders that teach Sunday school class, and they love to teach Sunday school class. I'm going over here because I can picture Mike sitting on the stool or sitting on the step teaching Sunday school class, and they love to teach Sunday school class, and they do it well. They open up the word, and they, they tear it apart, and we have discussions about it, and it's good, but you know what? You don't necessarily have to do that to be called to be an elder. So what in the world does it mean that an elder or a maturing Christian is able to teach? It doesn't mean that they um, love to have a teaching ministry in front of people, but what it means is that they're able. They're able to sit down with you, one-on-one, two-on-one, whatever it is, we're able to sit down and I can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you, and I can help you to understand. You want to live a life of faith? You're confused about living a life of faith? An elder that's able to teach sits down and is able to share this. Any elder ought to be able to sit down and explain in a way that you can understand, not with great oration, not without looking at their notes, but they should be able to sit down with you and help you to understand the core doctrines of the church. Who is God? What is the gospel? You know, when we, uh, whenever we hire somebody here at the church, um, which since I've been here has been twice, so I, I say it and it's like, oh, it's this grand statement. Really, it's been twice. But one of the first questions that we ask, what's the gospel? What's the gospel? And you would be surprised. I'm thinking back to when we, we interviewed for the position of children and, uh, and youth um, pastor and, and we'd ask people, hey, What's the gospel? You'd have thought somebody applying for the role of teaching the gospel to our children would be able to articulate what the gospel was. But there were people we crossed off the list. I think there were interviews we finished just to be polite. But people that couldn't find the gospel in the dark with a flashlight, like they, they just they, they couldn't do it. They couldn't articulate the gospel. Maybe they knew it. Maybe it was true for them, but they couldn't explain the gospel to us Adults on a search team, they certainly couldn't do it for kids, for teenagers. And so being able to teach means that you're able to, to share these core truths of the church. It doesn't necessarily mean that you preach and teach in a Sunday school setting, although you can and that's great, okay? But it's not a disqualifier, but you do have to be able to open up doctrine, help people understand the core tenets of faith. Not given to drunkenness. This is kind of self-explanatory, right? You can't be drunk and be an elder. You can't be a, a drunk and be an elder. Should make sense. You can't be a drunk and be self-controlled. You can't be a drunk and be respectable. You can't be a drunk and be temperate. Right? So this is kind of explanatory. Now, here, here's the thing. What it doesn't say is you must refrain from drinking. I, I, know, I, I know sometimes we wish it would say that, but it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that an elder must be someone who doesn't drink any alcohol at all. It doesn't say that. What it says is an elder is someone that does not get drunk. Right? And, and so I want to tell you, this is a disqualifier for the men that serve in leadership. If you are sober 95% of the time, but you know, once, twice a month, you go out with your buddies and you have too much to drink where you are drunk, you're not self-controlled, you're not respectable, you are not qualified to serve as an elder in the church. It's not my rule, it's Paul's. He says that the stakes are too high for this. 
It's not about not having a drink. It's about not having too many drinks. And, and you know where that line is. We keep going. Not violent, but gentle. Makes sense. Okay? Not a whole lot to say there, but an elder is somebody that's gentle. Um, not, not quarrelsome. So an elder must be somebody who's not contrarian just because they like to argue. Um, not quarrelsome. Elders are not men who are always the only ones saying no. Or not the only ones driving a, a point. When, when, I, I, when I'm one amongst equals and everybody else is always moving this way and I'm always going this way, there's something to be said about, am I quarrelsome for the sake of being quarrelsome? Now, I want to be careful there because here's the truth about the way we do elders. We never vote. We don't vote on things. What we do is we move forward when there's something called consensus, when there's unity. Now, unity doesn't mean we all see everything exactly the same way, but unity means we're all willing to go forward. And so there are times when somebody, and they're not being quarrelsome, they just, God has given this, them this uneasiness in spirit that they just, and, and they say, men, I hear you, but I can't take another step this direction. God just won't let me do that. And you know what? As elders, because we don't vote on things, it's not majority rules, we operate on consensus, we take a step back, and we say, all right, let's go back to the drawing board. Let's pray. Let's examine. Let's study. Let's wait on the Lord and you know what? It slows us down a lot. But it's good. And it's right. Okay? So saying that we're not quarrelsome doesn't mean that we just rubber stamp everything and we always say yes. No, 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 no. That's not true at all. Uh, we follow what God's laid on our heart. But uh, there's something to be said for it. And, and we know those people who in their heart, they just, they just want to be the contrary opinion. It doesn't work. Not a lover of money. Jesus says this, right? It's like you can't love two things. You can't love God and money because you'll end up serving one and hating the other. So as an elder, you can't have a love of money. It doesn't mean you can't make money. It doesn't mean you can't have a lot of money. You could be a great elder, very generous person, very hospitable, very respectable, all of those things. Uh, very well thought of in the community. You could have all of those things who has resources, but it can't be the purpose of your life. Your life purpose can't be to gain those resources. You can't be a lover of money and serve God well and serve the church well. We keep going. He must manage his family well and see that his children obey him. Uh, and do uh, the, the reason for that, okay, is because honestly, as an elder, what we're asking people to do is we're asking them to lead the larger church family. And if they can't manage their own family, then we've got a problem. Now, this doesn't mean that their kids are like perfect kids because those don't exist, right? Obviously, our kids are going to be goofy. All kids are goofy. Obviously, our kids are going to make mistakes. All kids make mistakes. Obviously, our kids are going to get in trouble. Kids get in trouble. But you know as well as I do, there are people that can't manage their family. And if you can't manage your family, you can't manage the church because God has set them up to represent one another. He must not be a recent convert, okay? Uh, these things take time to grow in maturity in these ways. And the more you are a Christian, and, and the more you have to grow in maturity. And so there's no time frame. It's not saying, well, you have to be a Christian for 12 years before you can be an elder. It's just saying you can't be brand new at this. You can't be new at this. Paul throws this in there because um, Christianity had just made its way to these churches. And so people come to the gospel and they're on fire for the gospel and they're like, yeah, I want to serve as an elder. And you look at my life in the last four days and I have been respectable and I haven't been drunk and I've been a good husband and all of this. It's like, okay, well maybe let's give it more than four days. Okay? Because we don't want to let someone get conceited. We, we, we don't want to cause problems. We don't want them to fall under judgment. And we don't want to put the wrong people in leadership. So not a recent convert. And then the last thing here is we must also have a good reputation with outsiders. Comes full circle to above reproach. Above reproach, though, has to do with inside the church. A good reputation with outsiders is outside the church. Listen to me. If we have elders that have a bad reputation in the community, whether it's earned or not, that will kill the ministry of the church. We have business leaders that are cutthroat in their dealings 
outside of the church, not illegal, but cutthroat and wicked. And then they're elevated to the office of elder. That doesn't give the church the reputation that it needs. Okay, so Paul puts these characteristics down. He says, these are the men that I've given you to lead the church. These are the characteristics that, that, that fit. This is what they're about. And so um, be clear, he's not describing super Christians, um, but he's pointing towards what maturity looks like. And, and the reason that we have to understand that is because if, if we thought he was describing super Christians, then we would have no elders. You'd have no pastor. You'd kind of be people that are looking for a shepherd and there wouldn't be a shepherd, Okay. But he's not saying you have to be perfect. What he's saying is you have to be maturing and you have to be growing and you have to be marked by these things, okay? All right, so that's who they are. What do they do? Let's break this apart here. Uh, Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And so here's, we get Peter is giving this admonition about, well, okay, so that's who elders are. Okay, and I know that was a lot of like, okay, let's break this apart, and what does this mean? Uh, but that's necessary for us to picture. And now we get to this part. It says, well, what do they do? What do elders do? Well, what they do is they shepherd. Okay, they watch over. Not because they have to, but because they're willing. It comes back to this. They have a desire to do this. And they don't do it dishonestly, and they don't do it selfishly, and they don't do it for themselves, and they don't do it meanly, and they don't lord it over people. But they serve humbly and willingly. Okay, and so there's three things that elders do. They lead, they feed, and they protect. Let's break these apart quickly. They lead. Listen, it is an elder's job to set vision. Part of an elder's role is to set vision. Where is the church going? Where is God leading the church to go? What does God have for the church? And that doesn't mean that other people aren't part of that process. Malia kind of described that to us last week, but the elders answer to God for setting vision and direction of the church. Listen to me. There are too many churches that are dying. That's, that's not me. That's, that's fact. About 68% of churches are plateaued or declining, even in areas where the population is growing. 68% of churches are in a death cycle. And it is incumbent on elders, the men that God has put in position to lead the church, to lead with vision and to understand the future. A good chunk of what we do as elders is we study, we pray, and we vision cast. Where are we going? What are we doing? How do we get there? What does God have for Blessed Hope Church as we move forward? They teach. They feed, right? They lead, they feed, they set doctrine. We guard against hypocrisy. We guard against apostasy. We guard against false teaching. It's the elder's job to point out false doctrine where it exists. You hear me all the time telling you where I think churches have made mistakes or doctrine that's not right or compromises that we can't make. The elders talk about those things as well. There are these points where we say we have to teach, we have to feed you good, solid truth so that you know what it is that the Bible teaches. And part of that, part of that feeding um, comes into this last thing. We have to protect. We protect against those things. We protect. Does church work? Is it happening the way it should? We protect against things um, that, that are broken. We protect against systems that are wrong. But here's where most elder boards get wrong. Most elder boards live under protection and oversight. They get together once a month, once a quarter, whatever it is, and they talk about how church world is going. And um, they say, yes, that's okay. No, that's not okay. Yes, that's good. No, that's not good. And then they're done. There's no vision and there's no feeding, Uh, but this is a very important part of it too. Protection, protecting the flock, making sure that the, the church works the way that it's supposed to work, calling out false doctrine, and here's one that we hate, and you're gonna be hearing more about this in future weeks, but bringing discipline where it's necessary. 
Because discipline protects the church. It protects the individual who's stuck in sin, and it protects the church from the influence of sin. But this is what elders do. They lead, they feed, they protect. This is the provision that God has given the church. So I want to just say here, men, if we've got men here that that feel like God has put that on my heart, then grow in this. Grow in those characteristics. Bring those before the Lord. Ask him for help growing. Find somebody to help you grow in those. And then think about these things. That As an elder, as a potential elder, your job is to lead, to feed, to protect. And what does that look like? And how does it play out in your life? And how do you do that for your family if you have one? How do you lead your family? How do you feed your family? How do you protect your family? Okay? But here's the thing. So the role of the elder is to hear from God, set vision, point that direction, and lead the church there. It's places that are safe, uh, where we can grow, and we can be about the kingdom ministry that God's given us to do. That's the role of an elder. Now, here's the thing that you need to know. It takes more than elders to lead a church. The reason for that is because this will fall woefully short of day-to-day ministry. Elders that function well set their time in protection, teaching doctrine, vision casting in the church. What they don't do, what they don't do is they don't necessarily um, lead the day-to-day ministries of the church. And that's not the elders saying we're better than that. It's saying we have a designed role by God, and that's not what the designed role by God is. And if we end up doing that role, then this doesn't get done. We see a model for that in Acts 6. What happened in Acts 6 is the apostles, the elders at the time, were together and they're praying, and, and people come to them to complain about food distribution. They're like, hey, our widows aren't getting fed. Like, there's plenty of food to go around, there's plenty of donations to go around, but our widows aren't getting fed. Like, the Hebrew widows are getting their portion of food, but the Greek widows aren't getting enough food, and they're, they're going hungry, and there's a problem. And the elders, instead of saying, you know what, let's go down there and fix that for you, The elders said, you know what? God has given us a very specific role here in leadership. So instead of us going down there and fixing that for you, he's like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to institute something new, and it's called deacons. Okay, that's not the word they use in that, but he's like, here's what you're going to do. You're going to point people to go do that work. And and that's what we call deacons. We read about those in in 1 Timothy, and we're going to hear about that, but oh man, this is what it looks like. Okay, so as the church grows the special needs of the church grow. Does that make sense to you? As the church grows, the special needs of the church grow. Here's an easy example. When the church is 12 people, I don't need a children's ministry team. Listen, if you're in a church of 12 people and you bring a kid, guess who's taking care of that kid? You are. But when you're in a church of 250 people and you bring kids, the special needs of the church have grown And so we have something now called the children's ministry team that deals with the special needs. Just like the church grew and there were food distribution issues, and so because the church grew and there was a special need, the apostles, the elders, appointed a group of people to deal with food distribution. Read that in Acts 6. So this is what happens. So the elders set vision They pray, they teach doctrine. There's this philosophy of ministry, which is how we do church. It's broad. It's how we do church. It's what we're about, okay? It's our core values that the elders have set before God. Here's what they are. So we're about um, a church that's worshipful, a church that's generous, a church that's relevant, a church that focuses on relationships and discipleship. That's the church that we are. We set these boundaries, and we say then to ministry team leaders, deacons in the church, we say, okay, here's what you do. You, in your special area of interest, in your special area of need, within the boundaries that the church has set forward, you go figure it out. Make it work. Adult discipleship team, hey, our adults need to be in relationships. Our adults need to be involved in discipleship. So adult discipleship team, Figure out within those boundaries how we're going to help adults get there. Guess what adult discipleship team comes up with? They say, you know what? Small groups is the way to go. And that's within the boundaries. And so that's what we're going to do and that's where we're going to go. Children's discipleship. This is, this is what we have to do. Or, or um, finance team. Or the technology team. Or the worship team. Or the security team. There are all kinds of teams that happen. And each one of them is led by a deacon 
what we would call ministry team leader or a deacon that then takes those special needs and forms ministry so that they're done effectively and within the framework of the church. Without deacons or ministry team leaders, nothing would get done. And unfortunately, that happens in all too many churches where Sunday morning happens, but outside of Sunday morning, nothing happens because there's no one in place. But God has called elders to set vision and and doctrine and teach, and then he's called deacons to come alongside, men and women to come alongside and lead the church. So deacons are qualified men and women who are to assist the elders in their pastoral ministries. Deacons tend to focus on the special needs or specific needs of the church. Okay? And we read about them in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 10. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect in the same way as elders, they're to be worthy of respect. Okay? Okay? So they can't be um, not respected deacons. Be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. Okay? A lot of the same kinds of things. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Listen to me. You cannot serve as a deacon or what we would call a ministry team leader and waver in matters of faith. You just can't do it. We can't have ministry team leaders who are like, you know, I'm not sure that Jesus is really the only way. I'm not sure that Jesus is the only way to get saved. But you know what? He's a good way to get saved. Yeah, I'd love to lead our kids. We can't have people that waver in matters of faith over the church's finances. Paul says, no, 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 no. They have to hold to the truths of faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. So before we ask you to serve as a deacon or a ministry team leader, guess what we're going to ask you to do? We're going to ask you to serve in some way. Serve on a team. Get your hands dirty. Get plugged in. Be involved in ministry. Show that you can be trusted with ministry and that you can hold firm to the ideas of faith. And then grow into the role of leader. And then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Okay? This is an important role. There's too much at stake. God's glory in the church, the bride of Christ is at stake. There's too much. And then there's this last thing in 11 that I want to point out to you specifically in the same way, because you're going to have some churches that say, no, the same restriction about elders is true for deacons. And so they would say, you can't have female deacons. And we would say, well, then explain verse 11. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. And so what we do is we read there that God is very clearly saying um, and and that women are to be included in this level of leadership, of leading the church. And so we have no problem including women um, in this role. We we have, in fact, I would would venture to say, and men, you can kind of take a look in the mirror about this, but most of our ministry team leaders are women. Women are more apt to step up to the plate in this way. To be more passionate about ministry. I'm not sure why that is, men. Okay, and it's great that they are, but but we should be matching that enthusiasm. Okay? But deacons are men and women who are qualified to lead and are passionate about a specific area. So here's the thing. Um, We have Malia... Who, who was up here talking with us last week, Malia leads our adult discipleship team, okay? Uh, she leads our adult discipleship team, and she's passionate about adult discipleship. And because she's passionate about that area, because she's qualified to lead as a deacon, ministry team leader, we have put her in that role. She's been tested. She's trustworthy. She, she is respectable. She's all of those things, and she holds fast to doctrine. So we put her in that role, and she leads in that team. But you know what I'm not going to ask Malia to do? Because that's her special area of focus where she's passionate and excited about it. I'm not going to say, you know what, Malia, here's what I need you to do. I need you to come over here, and I need you to lead the praise team. And you're welcome for that. Because that's not her special area of focus. That's the difference between elders who are setting vision and worrying about the church as a whole and deacons who are dealing with their special area of necessary, important need. And it goes past this too. Something that you need to understand is is that um, it becomes a matter not just of 
elders and deacons, but then, and we'll talk about this in two weeks, Vince has worship next week, and then I come back and finish up the series, we talk about what the, the congregation's role is in this, and what's our responsibility to be part of leading the church, not necessarily from a leadership position, but as a member of the body that God has called me to be planted and working and to be outward focused and how it all plays together. And so we're going to finish up there. So uh, I want you to be thinking, though, as we ask the praise team to come back up, I want you to be thinking uh, about where it is that you're called to serve. Some of you, I want to ask you this very pointed question. Some of you men, I, I, I want to ask you, are you called to lead? Are you called to serve as an elder? If you feel like God has put that in your heart that you at some point in time may want to serve as an elder, you know what? It doesn't mean that it's going to happen tomorrow, but if God has put that in your heart, then it's time to grow into it. Let's talk about that. Let's set you on a path. Let's put you on a trajectory to grow into that. Men, women, are, are you passionate about an area of ministry? You say, you know what, I want to lead that ministry. I, I want to I get plugged in there. It's a special need of the church, and I, I either I want to serve on the ministry team or I want to grow into serving as a deacon or a leader in this role. Let's talk. Like, there are too many of us that kind of sit back and are just letting other things play out in front of us. But we're going to hear in a couple of weeks, no, 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 as, as part of the church, this is your role. If you call Blessed Hope home, then there is nobody that calls Blessed Hope home that should not be plugged into some kind of ministry somewhere. We're going to deal with that in a couple weeks, but I want to plant the seed now. Are you called to lead? Then let's get ready to lead. Don't waste that calling. And if you're not called to lead, where are you passionate to get plugged in and serve? All right? So would you pray with me? At this point, we're also going to ask the ushers to come forward. Uh, they're going to take this time to collect the offering. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, again, you're under no obligation to participate in that. This is something that those of us that call Blessed Hope Home do to fund the ministries of the church. Um, and also, uh, make sure you stop by the Welcome Center to get a gift after the service, our way of saying thank you uh, for worshiping with us. But would you pray with us as, as we close? Heavenly Father, God, we just we love you. We praise you. We come before you this morning, and we just thank you for being um, a God that has provided for us as a church, that has given us a model of leadership to follow, that has called qualified men and women to serve uh, in areas of leadership, that has, has empowered us to lead the local church. Father, you direct it, but you've given us the ability to, to, to understand and, and cast vision and know what you've called us to and where we're going and, and, and to figure out how to minister to those around us. It's an important role that you've asked us to do. God, we just thank you for that truth. We thank you that you are a God that loves and cares for us. We thank you that you are a God that sent your one and only son so that he could voluntarily lay down his life so that we could have salvation and that we could be right with you. God, we thank you for this offering we're about to receive. We ask you to bless it and multiply it and help us use it in mighty ways in the community to bring people to know Jesus Christ, to advance your kingdom. Father, we just love you and we praise you and we pray these things in your son's name and we, God, we just love you like crazy. Amen.